and the and the potential that entrepreneurship has for you without them seeing like the addiction side of it, right? Like the ugly side of it, I think. And you mentioned two people who I've had the chance to interview. Welcome back to Young Smart Money with me, your host, Apple Kreider. Today, we're sitting down with the one and only Shalene Johnson. Shalene is an expert when it comes to building your tribe, building your community of loyal and dedicated followers online, people who will follow you to the ends of the earth, and people who consume every piece of your content, buy every product you sell, and scream your name from the mountaintops the entire time. If that is what you're trying to do, Shalene is the person that you need to be talking to. So in this episode, Episode, we're talking about how she was able to figure out how to grow her tribe and the step-by-step -step blueprint that she found by talking to some of the most successful people out there when it comes to personal branding and building a loyal audience. People like Gary Vaynerchuk, people like Grant Cardone, these individuals who have built massive, massive followings, massive movements behind their mission. Shalene has sat down with those individuals, picked their brains and figured out exactly the blueprint that they followed to get to the place where we're at today. And today, Shalene is going to share that with you. There are some crazy actionable nuggets here that I've already gone out and implemented into my marketing and into my list building that I expect to make me a tangible ROI within the next couple of days here. So I'm super stoked for Shalene to get into this. She goes very actionable. She breaks down some amazing, amazing strategies you can implement today to increase your tribe and increase your impact. So without further ado, I'm going to welcome Shalene Johnson to Young Smart Money. Enjoy the show. All right, Shalene, welcome to Young Smart Money. How are you doing today? I'm doing awesome. Like I said, a little jet lag, but not too bad. Just returned from vacation. <laughs> all right, all right. Well, I'm stoked to be chatting with you here today on the show. Um, our listeners got to hear a bit about you in the intro, but for those of them that aren't super familiar with who you are and what you're currently working on right now, give them like a 60 to 90 second snapshot of where you are in time right now. Where I'm at in time right now, gosh. That's a good question. At, at the moment, I'm my the marketing side of my business is runs really well on its own. I feel really confident there. Um, I don't want to say it's easy, but it, it's fun because I get it. And then there's a separate business that my husband and I started about three years ago that keeps me on my toes, and that's a nutrition online startup. It's a a lifestyle program, but it really teaches people the fundamentals of figuring out their own personalized nutrition. And that's a whole different business model, a whole different, I mean, it's, everything is different. And that keeps me humble. It keeps me on my toes. It keeps me failing forward. And um, it's hard. It's really hard, but I love it. Awesome. Well, I'm super stoked to dive into both of those things. But first off, where I like to start off all the interviews is sort of flashing back in time because we do have a younger listener base here. So talk to us about your middle school and high school years. Like throughout yeah. that time period where you're getting involved in entrepreneurship, where you're taking school seriously, like what were you up to? Yeah. I always took entrepreneurship pretty seriously. I had a, um, I didn't realize it until I was an adult and went to therapy. Did I recognize that I had um, an experience as a child that really formed my beliefs and my drive and later an addiction to work. And that is, my dad was an entrepreneur. We grew up in the Midwest. I grew up in Michigan. Oh, nice. Yeah. And my dad was a, a liquidator at this. I mean, he had like a million different businesses and, and none of which were successful, but I didn't know that. I just thought like, you know, he, I was just watching him do things and failing. And I thought that's what you're supposed to do. But they, my parents uh, sunk all of their money, all of their investments into this one really big purchase. They purchased like a chain 
that was going out of business and they were to liquidate all the assets and they had everything in one big giant warehouse in Detroit. And it was a pretty um, kind of shady industry, like the bankruptcy courts, et cetera. And, mm. and they suspect that probably a, a competitor burnt the warehouse down to the ground. And that was my parents' savings. It was like everything. And uh, I was pretty young. I was like probably in sixth grade. And my, my dad had always taught me about entrepreneurship and making money. And, and we, I never heard things like we're broke or we don't have the money for that or money doesn't grow on trees or any of those kinds of phrases, very limiting phrases. I always heard like, if that's what you want to do, let's figure out a way for you to make the money. And then we'll figure out if you really want to spend your money. Like it was always really positive about money. And so he used that experience as an opportunity, I think. In fact, he said that's what it was, as an opportunity to teach me again about money. And he sat me down in his office. And um, I remember sitting in his big brown leather office chair. And he had a little blue notebook. And he said, this is your bank book. This is where we deposit the money that you've made. And I'm going to teach you today how you can have your money make you money. Now, you know, your mother and I, we've had this fire and we're going to be okay. But what we'd like to do is to borrow your money and we're going to pay you back in interest. And Apple, I don't even know how much money it was. It probably wasn't much. But in my mind, I formed some positive associations and some negative ones. Like some, the positive ones were like, dude, I'm a kid and I can help take care of people. Like, you know, th this is what can get people out of a jam. And some of the negative associations that I formed, which I didn't realize until later, was that like, this is why you're important. This is why you're valuable. This is why you matter in this family, in this world is because you work hard and, and make money for people. And so that later kind of took a hold of my life. But that was some of the earliest like fuel for me to want to make money and make money for people, to take care of people. Huh. So talk to us more about those, those like negative associations that you, that you got from that, because I, I like to talk about the positive side of entrepreneurship, but also the negative side, because I feel like a lot of young people are getting like overly hyped. They're seeing like Gary Vaynerchuk and Grant Cardone, get them all like hyped up on like, I don't even know what, but, but talk to us about that, that negative association that you started forming between like how you needed to work for other people and, and make money to sort of like be a valued person. Well, I didn't know that's what I was yeah. feeling. I just knew that when I would fail or if a business idea were to fail, I felt like I didn't have value that people, like I, what was my purpose? How was I important to other people? I mean, in my, in my marriage, in, you know, when I, it got to a point where eventually I was able to hire employees, you know, if we had a month where we were losing money because of a poor decision I made. I always, it was always like my responsibility. And I always felt like I was letting everybody down and that everyone looked at me like a failure and that I disappointed them or, or like that I just didn't matter. And, and it just continued to be a theme for me, just a feeling, like a feeling of like, I am a disappointment. But I also felt like I was like the most important person if I was making people money. And, um, and so I had some really like weird 
ideas around money too. So the more money I made, the more money I gave away to just stupid things. Not like, oh, like altruistic, like trying mm. to take care of orphanages. I was, I would just like literally give my money to anyone who asked for it because I wanted that high, that feeling again mm. of saving the day, of uh, being valuable to people. And I didn't care about the money, but I, I cared about how people perceived me. And I believe that their perception of me was um, a more valuable person if I could take care of things for them financially. And eventually that turned into like just this sick addiction because you can never make enough. And the more money you make, then the more money you're spending and the more money, the more people you're taking care of, and the more people you're taking care of, the harder it gets to be able to maintain that. And you, I just really got lost in that. Just and never, never would I ever feel satisfied or like, wow, I did it. It was always like, I got to do more. I got to do more. I got to do more. And it's kind of a no, no man's land. Like you, you can't win. You just, you end up on empty. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you're just giving away everything that you've got in terms of like emotional, just like power to other people, then, then that's all dependent on them and, and you, you're not in control anymore. Yeah, I really wasn't in control. Um, as, as much as you want. And I think, you know, I'm not sure like what your faith is, but for me, I just think that, you know, God has you go through these things to kind of help other people and understand it. And it's all for a reason. And eventually just got to a place where it was take, it was taking a toll on the things that did matter the most to me, which were uh, my family and my relationship. And also recognizing that I had two kids that I really wanted them to experience peace and I wasn't role modeling peace and I wanted them to experience the, the excitement and the, and the potential that entrepreneurship has for you without them seeing like the addiction side of it, right? Like the ugly side of it, I think. And you mentioned two people who I've had the chance to interview both those fellows, Grant Cardone and, um, and Gary. And I think they'll both tell you like straight up, like a lot of what, fuels them today is early childhood experiences and just trying to, to, you know, crush that, um, those negative beliefs. And they both really didn't have dads the way that I think most of us think a caring, loving, peaceful, present father is. And so, you know, they're kind of like repeating that. Right. And I, I, my dad was present and he was peaceful and he did know how to turn off entrepreneurship. He knew how to turn it off. And I just had to get to at the core of like, why was I not able to turn that off? Because I, I want to be an entrepreneur and I want to teach my kids how to be entrepreneurs, which both of them are. Uh, but I, I'm not role modeling a healthy side of this. And so I went to therapy to figure out like, okay, why am I doing this? Straight up. Was that a hard decision to make? Uh, to go to therapy? Yeah. No, uh, I, my husband, we had been married for, I don't know, maybe 15 years when I discovered he had a gambling addiction, which is mm -hmm. perfect if you're married to someone who's a workaholic, right? Cause I can just like keep that hamster wheel going. He can keep spending it and I can keep, and now I have a reason to justify making it. Um, and, and so I gave him the ultimatum, like you go to therapy or we're done. Like you don't just go to therapy, like you need to go to treatment and get healed. And he looked at me and said, you need to go too. And I was like, <laughs> okay. 
for what? You know, like I didn't realize. I was like, what, what problem are they going to, what could I possibly have to discuss the fact that I, I've got great work ethic? Because that's what I thought it was, right? Mm. A lot of times we say like, I've got drive, I've got tenacity, I've got work ethic. Yeah, but there's also a point at which it can cross over into addiction. And uh, so I went willingly, not suspecting that I had the issues I had, but um, I'm so glad that I did mm. and still do, still regularly go to therapy. Everybody in our family does. That's my husband, up. myself, my kids. That's what's up. I love that. I love that yeah. so much because I think a lot of people, there's this stigma that exists around like mental health, especially, and just like, I feel like a lot of people just aren't taking care of themselves, especially in the entrepreneurship space where, where hustle and drive and whatever is just so encouraged. And those words have this like positive association with them. But mm -hmm. I mean, there's this balance to everything. There's a give and take. There's, there's, you have to have different seasons and different times where you're, where you're valuing different things. That's right. Yeah. I love that you said that seasons. It's really important. Mm. So talk to us about some of those early ventures you got started with. So you saw your dad um, starting all these business ventures. You had that experience that really went on to shape you. What were some of these first projects that you started working on? One of the first things I did to make money was I um, saved up, you know, several hundred dollars and went to what is known as a state auction uh, where they auction off state owned vehicles in the state of Michigan. So they were like really grimy, gross vehicles that, you know, state workers drive around or like on construction sites, et cetera. And you could get them relative, relatively cheap because they were really, really dirty, but they usually had pretty low mileage on them. So I, I, my first venture was to buy a vehicle from the state auction way below market value. And then I fixed it up. I was like 15 years old. I couldn't drive yet, but I would detail it and spend time, you know, making it look pristine, restoring it cosmetically, having it repainted from uh, the state color orange to black. Like I, I bought an El Camino, which is like, <laughs> you know, a funny vehicle. And then I had the back end jacked up and painted black and made like a thousand dollars on that. And I was like, oh, this is crazy. Now I could take that money and buy a little bit better vehicle or more. And I, I just kept doing that flipping vehicles. Um, it also allowed me to still be a student and, you know, do kid things. Uh, cause it wasn't like a full-time thing, but it, it also enabled me to take a project to completion and finish it and then sell it, make money and, and in turn make enough money eventually to put myself through college at Michigan state university. Then I started it. I started doing it at Michigan state as well. Um, but there it became, you know, it, it was, now I was out from underneath my parents. I was in my own apartment. I needed to pay for rent. And there was a, a need for me to flip cars faster. And that led to a challenge, like realizing, like having someone come to my house, calling, getting directions, then waiting for them to show up. And then, you know, me being there, this like 18 year old girl uh, with like maybe four strange men looking at my car late at night, like it felt sketchy. It felt unsafe. And it felt like a big hassle. And half the time they would cancel or not show up. So it was really inconvenient. And I thought, you know what, this is, if this is a problem for me trying to private sell my vehicle, this has got to be a problem for other people too. What if I, what if I like got a lot of land, like a, just a space, like a parking lot, and I could rent it. And then on Saturdays, everyone who was like trying to sell their own vehicle or trying to buy a vehicle from a private seller, because a lot of people didn't want to go to the dealership, I could like have one big giant meetup. And that's what I did. It was a business I called the All Michigan Auto Swap Meet. I named it with A's so that it would show up first in the yellow pages. <laughs> 
And um, I sent a, a, a letter to the State Journal, Lansing State Journal, and they ran a front, front page article about it. And so that first Saturday that I held it, it was, it was like huge. And it was uh, really successful, except when it rained. <laughs> That's wild. So I, I think that, that the way you thought about that is not the way that a lot of people would have thought about a solution to that problem. I think a lot of people would have seen that and been like, well, I think I'll just stop flipping cars and find something else to do. But you were really like, let's find a way to just like take this to an even grander scale. Yeah. Like, and, and since then, that's kind of been the trajectory of my entrepreneurial pursuits. It's always like, okay, what am I struggling with? And there's got to be other people struggling with this. And you first look to see like, has somebody else solved this problem? And if they haven't, then it's just disrupting it and, and creating the obvious. Like I wish, whenever you think to yourself, I wish there was a fill in the blank, then there's your, there's your opportunity. And that's really how I uh, have followed, allowed God to place in my path challenges and then use those things to, you know, solve my own problem, therefore other people's problems too. And it's just kind of a fun thing to do. Yeah, a hundred percent. I think I see a lot of young people going into entrepreneurship without the mindset of like solving problems. They just like go into it with the mindset of like making money. Making money yeah. And yeah, it's such like when you make that shift and you can really like start to like look for problems that you experience in the world and, and think about how other people are experiencing those as well. That's, that's where I've seen like huge, huge like shifts in my business. What problems have you seen that you're like, okay, this is a problem I, I know other people have and this, I could potentially solve this. Um, well, the first problem that I solved um, or that I really like went all in on solving and really like created a system for it was I saw people building followings on YouTube, had no idea how to build followings on Instagram. So people mm. would have like half a million uh, subscribers on YouTube and like 2000 followers on Instagram. So the first thing that I really went in and did was like figured out a way to bridge that gap because I'd done a little bit on YouTube and a little bit on Instagram. So I sort of had a feel for both the platforms. So the first thing that I really went in and did was like found people who had that problem and just like went in and solved it for them. Nice. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And it's always best when you start closest to home, something that's been a problem for you or something that you personally have solved. And, and sometimes I think we assume, well, gosh, uh, someone else has already solved this or, you know, what business do I have um, jumping into the rescue as the expert? But if you can see the solution, so, so many people were so close to the problem that we, we can't even see a way out. Hmm. That's so true. So moving forward from that and, and from flipping the vehicles, what were some of the other problems that you saw that you saw and started solving? Yeah. So every one of my businesses has been, you know, based around that principle. Um, I later went on to have like 10 different businesses at once think and doing like a little bit of everything, mm. waiting for one thing to like really pop and seeing, I would see what everyone else is doing and be like, oh, I should do that. Oh, I should do that. Oh, and I was doing all those things at once. And they were all making me some money. Hmm. And I was afraid to give up any one of them because I feared if I, it's like when you walk up to, um, you know, the grocery store and there's like 10 cashiers and you, you're looking at all the lines trying to figure out like which one's going to move the first. And meanwhile, while you're looking, trying to figure that out, like people are getting in all the lines and you're just standing there. Well, I was afraid to give up any one of those things, assuming, oh, if I give that up, that's going to be the one thing that pops. Um, but I also knew that I was, I didn't have the focus I needed to succeed, like to, to really like crush it, kill it. Yeah. So I had, I had to decide 
And for me, I know a lot of entrepreneurs will give you the advice, like, you know, follow your passion, which is great advice. But I decided to follow the opportunity. And at that time, it wasn't the business. Because again, I had like 10 things going at once. It wasn't the one that I was most passionate about, but it was the one where I saw the greatest opportunity. Hmm. And that was to help other fitness instructors. So I was teaching fitness classes before and after work and I was trying to sell books and I was trying to do seminars. And I was trying to be a paralegal. And I was trying to go to law school. I was trying to do all these things. But I also, I loved teaching fitness, loved it. But the problem was it felt like a losing proposition because you would spend hours preparing your class and make a little less than minimum wage. And I thought, well, what if, what if I prepared classes for instructors and then I sold that like class lesson and the music and the sound effects and the choreography, I sold that to other instructors. And I decided to dive into that, even though, again, it wasn't the thing I was the most passionate about. I just knew that I had a solution. Like, and there's this opportunity. And uh, so I pursued that first and that turned into, you know, our first million dollar business. And then it caught the attention of infomercial companies. Um, And then we started doing consumer videos. And I think I've had three or four number one uh, infomercials and sold tens of millions of exercise DVDs. And again, I love fitness. It's a part of who I am, but it's like not the thing I'm most passionate about. Once that really started taking off, I realized what I wanted to do was teach people online entrepreneurship, like how there's this incredible opportunity. And I, I just love teaching. And so, um, you know, in struggling to figure out how to build an online business, and how to build an email list and, and what order to do these things. And like, do I do a podcast first or a book? And do I need to do a book before I do speaking events? Or do I get speaking events to get the book deal? Like all of these things that you hear people tell you in webinars and email lists and all these things. I just didn't know what order to do them in. So I just kept taking every seminar, every workshop. And eventually I realized, okay, this is a problem. And a lot, I'm at, in all these seminars with all these same people and we're all like taking the same advice and we're all running around like chickens with their heads cut off, learning all these new things with no time to implement them. Like what's the order this is supposed to be done in? Like what's, what is the right order? There must be a blueprint somewhere. There's no way that we're all supposed to be doing all these things at once. There's gotta be an order to this. And I saw that as a problem and realized, okay, I, this is something I can help people with. I can teach them the right order. Hmm. So how, how did you go about discovering that order? Because like you said, a lot of young people, especially are out there consuming so many hours and hours of, of YouTube content, of podcasts, and they're not taking the time to actually implement this stuff. So how did you start figuring out what the most effective sort of route to follow was when it comes to like building that audience? Very similar to what you're doing. I met with and interviewed the the best, the people who were successful. And they often would say, yeah, you need this, 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 this. And if I just kept drilling it down and asking, but which did you need to do first? And and was there something that needed to happen before that? And eventually you keep getting the same answers if you dig deep enough and keep asking people, but what did you have to do something before that? You know, and eventually I got to a place where I understood for myself what needed to be done first. And then once we were able to become successful, I started teaching that to a small group of entrepreneurs in, that would meet at my house every Tuesday morning at 5.30 a.m. I took on 10 people at once and we called it the three percenters. And we would wake up early on Tuesday mornings and just start implementing these things in this order and kind of hold each other accountable so that 
even though it's really tempting and really sexy to run Facebook ads, if you don't have an email list, if you don't have funnels in place, then what, you know, like all these things that people want to do and they're, they're all accurate and you can learn from the very best people who can teach you the best ways to do them. But the timing of when you do these things makes all the difference in the world. And so, you know, once we learned that timing, it was a little bit, maybe a lot about the right order. But I also found that entrepreneurs really need to be held accountable and to focus because we are so easily distracted by the next shiny thing. And we're such, you know, we're chronic enthusiastic optimists who we just believe like, oh, I, I can do that and I can figure that out and, and then I'll be successful. And we don't like to stick to one thing. So I think that my uh, gift is that I have ADD to the max. So I understand that way of thinking. And I understand that entrepreneurs need someone to say, no, not yet. No, no, not, not yet. Do this first, eat your vegetables. <laughs> and then it's a whole lot easier. So do you have any advice for the young, say 16, 17 year old listener who's struggling like with, with that focus aspect with, mm. with bouncing between so many different things and never like letting one get all the way to fruition because when it gets hard, they just decided to leave and try the next thing. Do you have any advice for that person? Yeah, I would say that the most important thing to start with is, well, first of all, is to just start, right? Like, cause I, I also don't want to scare people into thinking like, oh no, I'm going to start with the wrong thing. And therefore mm -hmm. they never pull the trigger and never jump. You have to jump. I mean, like I said, you have to, you have to fail forward. You have to make a lot of mistakes to figure any one thing out. But I would say that before you focus endlessly on social media, it would be to truly understand who it is you're meant to help and what are they looking for and what problem in this moment, in this season, do you solve? In this season, I know you're a lot of different things. I know you're multifaceted, but we tend to, because of social media, look at the people who are incredibly successful, have big, huge social media accounts, and we're like, wow, look, they're showing all these different sides of themselves. They're doing this, and they're doing that, and, and I should do that too. But you, you don't have permission to do that until you become known for one thing. Solve, be known as the fill-in-the-blank guy. And once you're known for that, then you can, I don't want to say set it and forget it, but once it's kind of operating on autopilot and people already know you for this one thing, then you have the luxury of breaking off into other areas and you can break off into a million different areas, but become known for one thing first before mm. moving on to another. That's so important. I see so many people out there seeing, again, like guys like Gary who are building these massive personal brands and then they go out there and they're like, oh, I should start building a personal brand. So they haven't yeah. done anything. They have no skills. They have nothing. And they just go out there and pull out their phone and start giving people business advice on their Instagram story. Like, it, yeah. it's, so, it's so important. I'm so glad you mentioned that. But like, you have to have that spike. You have to have that one thing that you're really good at, that problem that you're solving before you go out there and try to do a million different things like you see these guys doing. And tell people that's the problem you solve. That's the other thing is like, sometimes we think it's obvious. Well, gosh, if they look at my social media, it should be obvious, <laughs> but it's not. And, you know, so you've got to constantly tell people, I am the fill in the blank guy. I am the fill in the blank girl. Um, I help people with, with what? You know, explain that to people and say it over and over and over again until people can almost verbatim repeat your introduction. Hmm. You know, and, and it's, it's really like it helps to shape that identity. 
Absolutely. So once, once the listener has, has identified who they're going to help and how they're going to help them, what's that next step? Like, should they start building an email list? Should they start posting on Instagram? Is it like a blog? Is it a podcast? Like what's, what's the next step? I, I would, you know, right now, let's just start with podcasting, right? Sure. Cause like people are fans of yours and they're like, Oh, you know, he's killing it. Look at the people he's got as guests and I, sh I should do a podcast like Apple does. And I say, you know, there's a moment in time where that was ideal. Mm -hmm. But why, why do you want to start a podcast? Is it because you want to have access to these people? That's getting tougher and tougher and tougher, right? Um, because there are agents now who are trying to get everybody on everyone else's show. So, you know, that's, that's going to be tougher. And if you want to have a podcast to build your business and build your brand and your platform, a better idea in terms of like the cost of your labor and time and efforts is get on podcasts as a guest, because we're all looking for great guests. You, if you get on my podcast, you know, you, we see a million and a half downloads a month. If you start a podcast today, it's going to take you years and years and years. I've been doing this for six or seven years now. So it's going to take you six or seven years. And it's a, a much more competitive space now. Like, so if, if your goal is to, to reach people, it might be a better use of your time to get really good at being the go-to person for the interview on fill in the blank problem that you solve, mm. you know, and, and maybe getting an agent to represent you so you can get on some of these podcasts and, you know, getting a one, one key podcast can make a business. I just interviewed a gentleman um, who started a, a wine distributor shipping business. Basically, he imports European wines that are um, to a higher standard than what we require of domestic made wines. And he was on the um, Dave Asprey show. And at the time, his business was making 40K. And within a year, he says that that interview launched my business into the stratosphere. The next year, we made $4 million. He's like, you know, the day after that interview, our website crashed. Like we've just that one interview set the trajectory of our business. So, you know, what would have happened if instead of doing interviews, that gentleman had just focused on starting his own podcast? And I'm not trying to discourage anyone. I'm just saying like, consider first, like what's the objective? So to get back to your question, <laughs> Apple, at the beginning, I would say the first thing to do is to use social media, not for likes and, you know, to grow a following, but to, to actually go deep and, and communicate with your tribe, with your lifers, so that they're going to tell you what it is they need, what they're struggling with, and then start solving it for people, solving it in the DMs, focus on your DMs, focus on your communities, focus on your Facebook groups, so you can see how people are responding to you, what it is they love about your style, what it is they love about the way you solve this problem, because there's a million other people who solve the same problem you solve, but there's something unique about the way you do it. And then once you start doing that, then it's creating freemiums or you know some type of free giveaway, whether that's a um, an audio or maybe a podcast or maybe a webinar, or maybe it's a downloadable checklist, or maybe it's all those things combined. So you can start building your email list. And that's really important before you go balls to the wall in social media. Cause otherwise what you're doing is you, you just tend to focus on likes and growth versus, um, helping people and hmm. solving, pro solving problems is really where the passion meets the profits. Let's dive into the email list side of things because a lot of young people, they come to me and they, they sort of have this idea in their head that the email list is dead. And, and that's something that in my business, I have found to be the completely opposite of the truth. I okay. mean, like it's, it's dramatic how, how much results you can get from an email list. But like talk to our listeners about the value of an email list and why that's something that they should be focusing on. 
Well, first of all, it, it's not affected by algorithms. You know, we all know that every day something changes on at what name a social media platform. It's always going to change and it's always going to get more saturated. And you're at the mercy of that algorithm showing you to new people. And, you're, and actually even showing you to the people who already elected to follow you. Whereas when someone subscribes to your email list, they have self-selected themselves to be a part of your tribe. And that doesn't go away. And that we, we know statistically speaking that people spend more money when they see something via email versus social media. We know that there is a, a deepening of the relationship when we can build a really strong, actionable email list when people are, are there because they know that you're going to be good for it. They know that when they're getting an email from you, like, I mean, the best thing ever is when we get emails from our customers, like, where's the Friday email? Where is it? I'm you know, so angry. They're so angry that they didn't get this email from us. I'm like, that's a really good sign. Yeah. you know. Um, and I, I think that it's a way to um, truly be who you are and not worry so much. Cause I, you know, we all do this where you like kind of, you write up a, a comment under a, a social media post and you think to yourself, uh, is that going to be misunderstood? Are people going to hate it? People going to come for me because of that. And when you write an email, it's like, so what, if they unsubscribe, they unsubscribe. Hmm. I love that so much. So how, how can a listener begin? You mentioned um, putting together some kind of like freemiums or like freebies to give away to get people on their email list. But like, mm -hmm. what's a good starting place for someone who wants to start building that list? Well, I, I think the key is to create a freemium. And some people call it an opt-in or mm -hmm. a, a lead magnet. We call it a freemium um, because it's premium content, but it's free to people. And uh, so an example of that might be like you've figured out um, some way of getting the best guests on your podcast, right? And people want to know how to do that. And they want to know specifics. They want to know, okay, Apple, like when you say you sent someone a video DM, what does it look like? I want to know what language did you use? And, and then when that person doesn't respond, how many times should I hit them up again? And what does the language look like? People want specifics. You know, our audience, they, they don't need like the rah, rah motivation. I think they're like, okay, yeah, that's great. No, I, I know I need to do it. Just can you tell me exactly how? <laughs> and so that's what I like to do. Um, and, and then it's the follow-up after you deliver that freemium to people. And it's got to be something that people are actually going to open and use. It's got to solve a problem for people. If it's not, and you have to remember that people have that problem. That's why they've asked to download it for free. Let me give you an example. So um, my team, we put together a report every quarter on what's happening on Instagram as it relates to businesses. And so your listeners can get it by going to shaleen.com forward slash IG hacks. Okay. And that is a really comprehensive report. couple things. I know that if the person goes to look at that, that means they're struggling with their Instagram. Like, you know, they're either not converting, they have seen a slowing of comments, engagement, growth, etc. So they're frustrated. So they have a problem. And this will give them the insight to solve that problem. But if they don't open it, there's no relationship, right? So, but I know they have that problem. So it's important that I don't just send them that email. I want to send them a series of follow-up emails that relate to that problem because I know they have that problem. Otherwise, they wouldn't have given me their email address. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the most important things, if I can give your listeners this one tip, is, and it's kind of a newer thing, like freemiums, right? Like, so 
and you've downloaded freemiums, right? Oh, all the time. <laughs> all the time. And when you do that, you're like, you're, you're looking for a shot in the arm. You're looking for like some secret sauce, right? Yeah. I do that too all the time. And the number one most open email is the confirmation email. Yes. It's like an 80% open rate. Yes. <laughs> it's a confirmation of your, here's your blah, blah, blah. Yeah. My thinking is if, if you're telling me you have a problem and I'm sending you confirmation of a solution and you know it's a freemium, we both know it's only going to, the freemium can only take you so far. But if I have like something that's even better than that, that's a paid product and I'm not telling you about it and you've just told me you have a problem and you're not telling me about it. I'm not telling you that I've got a, a, a paid program that would solve this problem indefinitely for you. Then I'm being rude. Like I'm wasting your time making you wait for another like series of four emails. Like tell me in the first friggin' email that you have this thing that's even better than the freemium, that the freemium's only get, going to get me so far. Give, and so I teach my students put in the PS, like, don't be like obnoxious about the, like, Oh, you asked for a freemium here. Let me hard sell you all this other <laughs> stuff. But like in, at least in the PS, you should say like, Oh, and PS, I actually have a mentorship or I've got a free coaching group or I've got a, a paid program that will, you can get through this weekend. Like tell me what solution so that I know, don't make me wait. I've got the problem today. Don't make me wait for four more emails. Huh? I've never heard anyone talk about that before, but that's a really, really valuable piece of information right there. Well, thank you. You know, yeah. just think about, think about yourself, right? Anytime you, you're, you're, and usually when we don't, here's the deal, right? Apple, tell me if this isn't true for you. When I am trying to solve something and I find freemiums online, I've, I've usually find like five or six different experts and I've downloaded all of their freemiums that day. Yep. So that, that means I really seriously have a problem. So like the one who like comes of all those four people that I've downloaded freemiums from the one who's like, and by the way, I have this thing. They're telling me they've got a solution for me. I'm, I'm buying from them. Yeah. You know? So it's, it's really like recognizing like how things have changed today in our attention span where, you know, the problem that you and I are dealing with today that we're Googling tomorrow is going to be something else. Mm. Right. So, so get them while they're interested, like grab them and let them know you have the solution while they're struggling in the moment that they're struggling. Absolutely. That's, that's a straight value bomb right there. That's like actionable. Our listeners should start implementing that ASAP. If you don't have an email list, put that freemium together right now, start building that and think of an upsell while you're at it. Like think of some kind of paid product you could implement to solve this problem to a greater extent or for a longer duration or, or more thoroughly than this freemium. And like put that simple little email sequence together like tonight. Yeah, like, take yeah. action on that. And don't let it, it don't, you know, think that it has to be so big. Like people be like, oh, yeah. wow, yeah, I've got this freemium, but now I've got to create a course. You know, it could be something as simple as to offer a, a, a Zoom consultation with you, sure. a paid Zoom consultation. Because so, so many times people just like, I just want access to you. Like you could charge $150 or whatever feels appropriate for the level of experience that you have. But your time and your knowledge is so valuable and people will pay. Am I still there? Oh yeah, now you're back. People will people will pay a premium for the shortcut. Mm. That's the truth. I know I will personally. Like anytime that like I'm trying to solve a problem, if you provide that solution, I will pay you for it. Legit. That. Yeah, exactly. So Shalene, you've been dropping so much wisdom on our listeners. I'm very grateful for that. You've been providing actionable tips left and right. Um, but I have some questions now that I like to ask all of my guests before we do call it a day. So you feeling ready for those? I'm ready. Let's do it. The first of which is what is something that genuinely has you excited right now? It could be something in your business, in the wider realm of like social media or just anything that you're working on. 
Uh, what has me excited at the moment is um, setting up some really cool evergreen funnels that we mm-hmm. haven't had in place in the past with, again, I told you we've got these two businesses, um, the, the nutrition side of things. And, and just like, I, I feel like sometimes I so understand the marketing side of our business that I forget like, oh yeah, that works over here too. And so for me, it's almost like an awakening that I've had where I realize like, oh my gosh, so many things that we've been struggling with over here are because we haven't been doing the things that we teach everybody to do over here. So that's what I'm excited about, like taking my own advice. That's awesome. It's so cool to be able to like draw those parallels between different spaces and see where you can like cross apply things from different sort of disciplines. That's, that's one of the things that I like doing the most. That's awesome. And, and all the listeners know as well that I just love funnels. So anything having to do with funnels, <laughs> they know I'm all about it. So <laughs> are your parents entrepreneurs? Yeah. My mom started uh, public speaking about 10 years ago. So she does that full time. She has a little bit of executive coaching too, but she's a huge, huge role model for me. Um, but yeah, my where'd dad's you get a, those, where'd you get those good eyebrows? <laughs> So funny story. My girlfriend did my eyebrows like, I don't even know, like a week or two ago. Really? Um, yeah. It was a painful experience. First <laughs> time I tried it, but um, it was it was something. So I'm glad I'll let her know you noticed. Yes. And she didn't overdo them because some guys overdo them. They're, they're perfect. All right. I'll let her know that. She'll be very pleased. Eyebrows and entrepreneurship. Honestly. Wow. Um, so the next thing I'm curious about is um, whether you have any habits that have served you particularly well, either in your business, your lifestyle, or just things you do on a regular basis. Yes. Pen to paper. Um, that's just, you know, I, I, I say it so often that my kids, you know, they'll call me sometimes for advice. And they're like, oh, never mind. I know what you're going to say, pen to paper. But it's, I think it's especially true for people like us who are creatives and we've got a lot of ideas. And when we feel overwhelmed, when we feel stressed, when we feel like there's too much on our plates or too much in our heads, and we don't know where to start. I always just say, take a, take a pen to paper and just get all of your thoughts on paper. And that habit has served me um, really well. And I, I try to use that at least once a week where I sit down and I look at like, okay, everything I'm thinking about, personal, professional, et cetera. And I put it all on paper and then I kind of figure out like, okay, what, what has to get done? And what do I just feel relieved by the, the mere act of putting it on paper? I feel relieved. I can stop worrying about this. Cause so many thoughts that we have, we keep bouncing around our head because we're afraid we're going to forget them. But if you just take pen to paper, you're safe. I love that so much. That's something that I do on a daily basis. It's always just like making sure I get the stuff out of my head. Cause like that just frees up space for me to think about other things for me to connect more dots. And if I just have these same thoughts, like running around over and over again, it, you can't, you can't fit new stuff in there. You're right. You're absolutely right. Yeah. And it, you feel so distracted when you're trying yes. to keep track of them in your head. 100%. Uh, Shalene, I'm also curious as well, um, if there are any uh, people either in the space of entrepreneurship or really in any space that you look up to particularly or people that you, you aspire to, to learn from or just like who are the people that you're watching right now? Yeah. Well, um, yeah, I, I do. I really, I really like, I've always been a, a big fan of Brian Tracy. Mm. Um, he's, you know, not probably the most popular person in uh, personal or business development today. Yeah. Um, he's, he's, he's getting up there. He's in his eighties. Yeah. Uh, but he was like one of my very first mentors. There's something about his very simplistic monotone delivery that I hear every 
word. Another person who's like, and I'm thinking right now about how they have something in common is Seth Godin. Like there's something about his tone and delivery that I hear every word. And there are certain people who are like super hype and high energy and they've got great advice, but like, I don't know. I just, I feel too much kinetic energy and it can overwhelm me. And uh, so I tend to pay attention to, I tend to pay attention to mentors who I like the way they are as a human. I'm not just impressed by their business. I'm impressed by their ethics. I'm impressed by the things that they say no to. I'm impressed by their integrity. I'm impressed by their tenacity and their like following through on a belief in the way that they honor their families. I have no interest in um, following someone's business advice who doesn't give a shit about their own family mm. because I, I, I don't want to be led by that person because yeah. I care about my family. And so I don't want to make the, I don't want to fall into the same way of thinking and um, traps. And I, I just think true happiness has nothing to do with money. I mean, certainly it gives you options, but I don't care how much money you have. If your relationships are all jacked up, you're just not happy. And so I think it is really important that we, for me anyways, the, the mentors that I look up to are people who their relationships come before everything else. Mm, that's massive. And, and just having that, that benchmark in mind when, when you're looking at mentors in particular, like look at their entire, like look at their lives as a whole and figure out, is that the life that you want for yourself? Like don't just focus in on one certain aspect because then you're leaving out the whole big picture. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, we don't always know. That's right? true. Like, That's very true. You kind of have to dig, but I dig. Like I, <laughs> and, and it's not like I'm looking for red flags, but like, I also don't want to be led astray. Oh yeah. You know? Absolutely. So I'm also curious now that you mentioned your podcast is reaching um, over a million people per month. Is there anything that you continue to do in your business that you choose not to scale? Like anything that has that personal, like Shalene Johnson touch to it? Or at this point, are you just really trying to, to scale everything to the max? I choose not to scale, but I yeah, like keeping that personal touch. Like for me personally, oh sure, yeah, yeah, Yeah. okay, okay, cool. Yeah, it would be my at the moment uh, because I'm I'm always open to change. Sure. Uh, At the moment, my so I have ten Instagram accounts that I have a team that helps to operate them. We have what's called feature accounts, themed accounts, where you just cover a very specific type of content, right? Like maybe it's motivation or um, working out at home. And then I have my own personal account. My own personal account is me Mm -hmm. and it is me in the DMs and it is me responding back and forth. And um, that I certainly could have my team jump in and they know like, you know, my voice, They, they could jump in as me. But at the moment, I just feel really connected and I, and I, I don't want to scale that at the moment. I could change my mind later, but at the moment, I, I like the way, I like the way it serves me to actually get to know who it is that's a part of my tribe that I'm a part of. Hmm. Well, I'm thankful for that because that's how we connected. So um. yeah, totally. (laughs) I'm grateful for that. Now, Shalene, where can our listeners go if they've been enjoying the amazing wisdom you've been providing to them on this episode today? Where can they go to follow up with you, learn more about what you're working on, listen to your podcast, all of that good stuff? Oh, awesome. Uh, Shalene.com. It's C-H-A-L-E-N-E.com. 
And as you can find uh, my podcasts, newsletters, et cetera. And then of course, if they want more help with Instagram and want to see what that freemium looks like and how mm-hmm. we follow up with follow-up emails. And I always encourage entrepreneurs have a separate folder that's called swipe copy. And yes. anytime you've got like, you know, emails, you're like, Oh, I like the way they laid that out. Like, you know, save those because you just plug in your own language, but sometimes just having the bones so you can see like what a sequence looks like that that's a great jumping off point for people. Yeah. A hundred percent. So what's the, what's the URL for that? What's the best place to send that? Is, that is uh, shaleen.com forward slash IG hacks, IG hacks. All right. Perfect. And uh, you can always say hello to me on Instagram. Take a screenshot. Let us know. Let me know that you're listening to me on this podcast and, and uh, hit me up uh, on Instagram. I'm at Shaleen Johnson. Awesome. I'll be sure to link up all of those in the show notes for this episode. Again, Shaleen, so grateful for your time and choosing to spend it here on Young Smart Money. Do you have any last parting thoughts, words of wisdom, or anything you want to leave the listener with here today? I just want to say thank you. Uh, Thank you for your tenacity. Thank you for um, the way that you reached out to me. I really honor and appreciate that. Um, And please tell your parents, great job. And Apple, don't forget to be a kid too. I appreciate that. Yeah. That's, that's important. That's important. That's very important. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much, Shaleen. It's been a pleasure. It's been an honor. Thank you so much, Apple. Well, y'all, that is a wrap. That's another episode of Young Smart Money in the Books. If you guys enjoyed this episode, I got two quick asks of you really quick. The first of which is if you could leave us a five-star review on iTunes, that would mean the absolute world to me. We're closing in on 200 reviews right now. Um, I read each and every one of those. And if you uh, screenshot it, tag me in your Instagram story, I will be sure to repost that as well. The second thing that I want to ask you is if you guys are interested in starting your own podcast, okay, learning how I was able to take young, smart money from the ground up, turn it into a top 100 business podcast in a few short months, I put together this free training that I'm giving away to people, basically teaching you the secrets to podcasting, the stuff that other people aren't really talking about. Like you can find videos online of like the best podcasting setup or like the best podcasting gear, but no one's really talking about how to land big guests, how to network with influencers, how to actually monetize your show. So I want to put together a free training uh, for that. If you guys are interested, the link will be in the show notes for this episode. Otherwise, you can go to applecrater.com slash podcast. That's applecrater.com slash podcast. And check out that absolutely free training that I put together for y'all to uh, get yourself educated in the world of podcasting because that's something that I'm really passionate about. So I want to teach others. But guys, that's going to wrap it up for the show. Don't want to waste too much of your time. I hope you guys enjoy the rest of your day wherever it leads you. And I'm glad you chose to spend this last hour here on Young Smart Money.